Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Big Wednesday Podcast. Doug Lamarie, Nathan Baird. We're talking about the best players that Ohio State are, is going to face this season, Nathan. And I feel like here we are. Uh, this is being released on Wednesday, June 30th, which 30 days have September, April, June, and November is the last day of June. And all the rest have 31, except for February with Doth combined to give the, I don't know, something about leap year. I learned it's like second grade. Didn't you like learn the thing about that? It's like the I did, only- yeah. And then, but then they lie to you. It's one of the many lies they tell you in elementary school, along with like uh, Columbus and whatever else. But like they say, then short February, which has twenty eight, because they didn't want to then add a whole like uh, addendum paragraph on about the leap year. The way I learned it was just like all the rest have thirty one except short February, which has twenty eight. Like period. And then the first time you find out there's February twenty ninth, your head explodes. You know, so I listened to this podcast uh, one time. It was called, I think, Revolutions, it was called. It was very well done. And it went through various revolutions. It had, like, different seasons. It was different revolutions in world history. Did the American Revolution, did the French Revolution, Haitian Revolution, a couple different ones. But, like, did you know? I mean, I guess I didn't learn this in second grade, but I probably should have learned along the way. Like, I think at, like, some point uh, in the French Revolution – like Napoleon then like made the weeks 10 days long and they just made like a whole different calendar and stuff. And it makes you realize like, you know, the, the 365 days thing. I mean, that's, you know, it's, that's based on something, right. That's real. And the 24, 24 hours is yeah. 24 hours is real. But the way that we parcel out those 365, 24 hour segments, completely arbitrary. Mm-hmm. The, the idea that like, well, it's a Sunday. A Sunday is not a thing. It's just like a, I mean, it's, and that he made it like a 10 day. So that way I think like they had like a one day weekend or something. It was like, it's like a longer week. So months, months, what are months? Honestly. And like, but they, they couldn't divide them up any more efficiently than like the way they did. You know what I mean? Like I just, I, and I feel like that if we were doing it again now, you would do it in a way that every four years you would make the, that extra day, like more of a celebration than it is. Right. I mean, it's like leap. We can leap. do that anyway, but I mean, we can't do it. 
like you and I, I mean, as much as we would try, we have our loyal Buckeye Talk listeners who, frankly, the way this podcast has started, might we might have lost a few already. <laughs> might have fewer. But like, what are we going to do? But like, shouldn't that that should be like a world celebration day? It's like everybody should stop and just celebrate the world, celebrate life, celebrate that this is happening at all. One day every four years. It's the bonus day. Leap day also. Leap. What is that? How about bonus year, bonus day, or like like yeah. like something cool? It is kind of a bonus. It's like when you get like three paychecks in a month instead of two, and you feel like that's you're getting something extra. When in reality, it's it's not. But it's like it. I I, I had a um I had a friend, uh, someone I went to school with, whose older brother had a February 29th birthday, and that always seemed like such a bummer to me. Like my wife's birthday is like right around Christmas, and I always feel like that would get a little bit conflated, but they always tried to like split them up. But what do you do when you just don't have a birthday that like your birth date doesn't happen? Yeah. I don't know, but then that, that it should be a much bigger celebration um, or the purge. It should be the purge every, every four, four years. years. You be honest. You want to purge more often than every four years. Now, the thing that I don't, well, the thing that worries me about the purge is that I would not be a purge. I would be a, no, I would be a purge, not a purger. Mm-hmm. I would be if it was like, oh, we can kill Doug with no consequence. <laughs> there would be people lined up outside my door. So that is not as much as I act like I have people that I want to go. I mean, I realize that I draw it much more than I have a chance to put it out. All right. So we're talking about the best players that Ohio State is going to face in the regular season in 2021. And the reason that I started talking about a date because frankly, dates are not that interesting of a podcast. Unless you just had a podcast that was just like every day, you just talked about like what the date was. And I'm like, interesting things that happened on that date. That actually would be a bad 10 minute podcast every day. It's June 21st. What happens on June 21st? Well, all this stuff happened on June 21st. I actually would listen to that. If that was a 10 minute podcast every day, the most interesting things that happened on this date. And then once you did it once, you wouldn't have to research it anymore. Man, that does sound like a good podcast, actually. You'd have to keep it fresh that second year, though. You'd have to, like, sprinkle in some new thing. But people forget. People would forget. I mean, it's like if something happened on June 21st, 1638. It happened. It, that didn't change. That's actually a good point. It would be an evergreen podcast. Oh, and now, you wouldn't be one that you would – you could re-listen to it to remember the things that you'd forgotten that you were told last year, but you would always be getting new people who don't care that it was recorded on June 17th, 2014 or 2023 or 2038. It's all just about June 14th that day. So it doesn't matter. The year doesn't matter. And then if something happened that deserved to be talked about, then you could redo that one. But there's a lot of days where like, that's just a day. Nothing really happened in the world. I would actually be, it'd be like the top five things per day. And then when something momentous enough happened that you were like, oh, we have to change the top five for June 29th, 2021. Like this podcast clearly is going to end up in the top five for all the June 29ths that ever happened. Then you'd have to release a new podcast and it would be like a big moment. It would be a controversial thing. Like we've decided to bump out, you know, Gandhi was probably born today. We're bumping that out to put this podcast in the top five. Right. We're bumping out Gandhi because like Ohio State beat Alabama in a college football playoff semifinal. Sorry, Gandhi. Right. Buckeye talk. Sorry, Gandhi. (laughs) Buckeye talk. So I like I also like the idea of a pot. Someone out there (laughs) has to be hitting Photoshop with sorry, Gandhi. (laughs) Buckeye talk. The the thing that also would be a good podcast is just the podcast talking about podcast ideas. 
And then every day, just, you know, be a good podcast. <laughs> Welcome to, you know, it would be a good podcast. All right. So what we're actually doing. So July is almost here. And July is like, like not the beginning of July, but by the end of July, college football season will have started because July is when the conference media days start. And then we know camp starts in August. And it's like, it's not like July 1st. We're not getting, it's not like summer's not over. But where it's like the preseason magazines are out. Phil Steele's magazine is out. We'll have Phil on again at some point. Tyler Shoemaker's power rankings of all 130 teams are out. T-Shoe's going to come on at some point. This is, to me, like, Nathan, a preview of our previews. We are not diving in all the way into strength of schedule and to record predictions and predicting you know, what other teams are going to be good in the Big Ten. We will get to that because we have our Cleveland.com poll, which is the officially unofficial preseason poll for the Big Ten, put together by Cleveland.com. You're working on that, making sure we get the people lined up. We're going to send out the email soon. That's what we do. We brag about it every year because, frankly, we save the Big Ten. But we are ranking the top 50 individual players in the 12 games that we know about that Ohio State is going to play. And to me, that's a peak, Right. And that's what we wanted to give people. It's kind of something to have at cleveland.com slash OSU in the offseason. We wanted to give you a peek, and we're more than halfway through at this point. So that's why we're resetting here a little bit, because I want to talk about some of the people on our list, how many people from different teams are on our list, who are some of the most interesting opponents that we have written capsules about so far. So that's what we're doing on this podcast. And it's, it's just a light layer on top. It's still like a breezy summer thing. It's not homework yet. So it is far from our digging in hardcore season preview. But let's start, Nathan, by talking about the numbers of people that are on our list. And this is not the be-all, end-all, but again, is, it is a little peak. There are, not surprisingly, four of Ohio State's 12 opponents that dominate our list. of the, Again, it's the top 50 individual players that Ohio State's going to face in the regular season. 31 of the 50 players are from four teams, which means 19 of the 50 are from the other eight. And Nathan, would you like to guess which are the four teams that dominate the rankings with the number of players? Akron? No. Uh, Oregon? Yep. Penn State. Yes. Michigan. Yes. Indiana. Correct. By the numbers, we have nine Penn State players, nine Oregon players, seven Indiana players, six Michigan players on our list. Minnesota, Nebraska, four each. Purdue, three. Rutgers, two. Michigan State, two. Maryland, two. Akron, one. Tulsa, one. We had some things in there where a couple things we like jammed together, like the Michigan running back situation. You can't exactly figure out who the guy's going to be. So we sort of said all the Michigan running backs. We still only counted them as one player. Um, And this did make me get curious about sort of like strength of schedule. Again, dipping the toe in the water, how good these teams are. And we'll get back to the players, but how good the teams are that Ohio State's going to play. I looked at PFF had their, Rankings one through 130. Lots of other sites have done similar things in the summer. Let me run through by the schedule where the teams are ranked on Ohio State's schedule. Nathan, how many Ohio State opponents do you think are in the top 25 of the PFF preseason rankings that are on Ohio State's schedule? Four. Correct. 
And it's the four that we already mentioned. I mean, I, obviously, that's why. That was basically what I was trying to suss out in my mind if they were going to put both Penn State and Michigan in there, but I assume they did. How many teams on Ohio State's schedule do you think are in PFF's top 50? So it's at least four. How many question. is in the top 50? Um, eight. Five. Oh. Only one more. This is not a tough schedule. I'm going to go in order of ranking. Oregon, PFF has number 13. Penn State, 19. Indiana, 24. Michigan, 25. That's the top 25. Minnesota, 38. And nobody else in the top 50. Nebraska, 51. Maryland, 56. Tulsa, 58. Michigan State, 70. Purdue, 80. Rutgers, 108. And Akron is literally the worst team in major college football. They are 130 out of 130 by PFF, and probably not only by PFF. In looking at the West, Nathan, part of what I think Ohio State fans know, but again, dip in the toe, dip in the toe, dip in the toe. They're only playing like one of the four best teams from the West. Right. Iowa is ninth. Iowa is ninth, ninth, ninth in PFS preseason rankings. Wisconsin is 14th. Minnesota 38, Northwestern 52, or excuse me, 42. So that is two teams, Iowa and Wisconsin in the West, that are like legit dudes. And Ohio State's not going to play them unless they face one of them in the Big Ten championship game. So that that is sort of like a, a brush at it. And then Tom Fornelli from CBS Sports, who's like their college football, sort of like guy who just does like rankings and quick little hits like that, which is fun stuff in the summer. He did Big Ten strength of schedule rankings, and he had Ohio State 13th out of 14 in the Big Ten. Now, which is always affected by they don't have to play Ohio State, which like the number one way to have an easy schedule in the Big Ten is not play Ohio State, and Ohio State never plays Ohio State. So that's part of it, but also part of it is they have a pretty easy cross-division thing. Michigan State is not good. Penn State and Michigan are not top 10, which sometimes they are. They're top 25, but they're not top 10. And then Oregon makes it interesting, but at least the Oregon game is at home. So I think it's fair, Nathan. And and again, we'll keep getting into this. It's not a tough schedule. It's really not. And especially early in the year, if they get past Oregon, you know, Minnesota, Oregon is, is tougher than a lot of first two weeks back in the day when they'd opened with a a Mac team and and another Mac. Yeah. So Minnesota, but then Minnesota, Oregon, then Tulsa, Akron, Rutgers, Maryland. I mean, that's, that's your first six. So there are some good players on this list, but it's, it is a pretty relatively speaking, easy schedule. I don't want to kick people when they're down, but I feel like this is a good opportunity to to point something out that then teases to what we're going to have on the Friday podcast which is a Buckeye fly effect about what if Nebraska had never joined the Big Ten. Sometimes it seems like they never did. Certainly the Nebraska that existed back then has never really joined the Big Ten because Ohio State playing at Nebraska this year should be a bigger game than it should be a tougher game, should uh, help Ohio State strength the schedule more than it does. And it's essentially an afterthought at this point. So let's just do this very quickly. Do you think Ohio State wishes it had a harder strength of schedule or is it fine with what it is? Both from oh, I co- think, go ahead. In, in the world that we have now, I think it's probably fine. 
I mean, the only thing I guess that costs you is if you do what has happened before, I guess, and stub your toe in one of these lesser games. But I think that hurts you on its own merits, regardless of who else you play to some extent. And I think right now, you know, the esteem that they go into a season with buys them some benefit of the doubt that as long as they're winning games, they probably are that good, that it doesn't necessarily have to be challenged in the same way. And they've also seen Clemson do this too, right? Clemson yep. doesn't necessarily play the most challenging schedule every year and, and gets to the playoff and then wins in the playoff. That's kind of the, the missing ingredients. They go ahead and win a national championship, even if their, their strength of schedule wasn't that strong during the regular season. Just another little thing before we get to the players, the uh, ESPN football power index rankings, which, you know, take into account recruiting rankings and kind of what you did the year before. Yeah, they're, as, they're as good as anything for trying to figure stuff out in the preseason. Ohio State is fifth in those rankings in the preseason. Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, Iowa State. Iowa State, fourth, ahead of Ohio State. I think Iowa State has a ton of people back. Um, But Ohio State's percentages, according to this, this I find a little bit surprising that it doesn't actually line up exactly, but they predict 10.8 wins and 1.9 losses. I don't really know how you do that. That's not, that's, that's more than 12 games. Um, They're expecting them to win 11 games, I guess. 71% chance of winning the big 10 East, only a 53.7% chance of winning the big 10, which seems crazy to me. 45% chance of making the playoff. 18% chance of making the national title game and basically an 8% chance of winning the national title. That playoff percentage is fourth uh, at 45% behind Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma. So no shock there. I would give them more than a 53% chance to win the Big Ten, though. That's where that seems low to me. Well, but I think uh, maybe you have it in front of you. If you were to compare it to every other team, like what's the second highest Big Ten championship percentage within the Big Ten. I assume it gets splintered up between a lot of teams after that, right? Like, would Indiana maybe be second or probably either Wisconsin or Iowa? And then Wisconsin. a lot of it. Okay. Wisconsin, you know what I'm like, 17. Yeah. Penn State, 11. So yeah. then you're talking about it's it's 53 to then 17, 11, whatever. Like, that would still be, if it was an election, that would still be like a landslide victory. Yeah, I guess that's true. Alabama's only 51.3% chance of winning their conference, but they've got to play Georgia in the SEC championship game. So that's kind of a different deal. No offense than trying to play Iowa or Wisconsin. So, yeah. And based on the numbers that they ran, they were this, this particular outlet was saying like a 30% chance that they don't even win the big 10 East at all. So right there, you're, you're starting at 71 at best to win the big 10. No, that is true. That is true. Um, so I, I understand what you're saying. Like in our in our, um, our our assessment of it would say that Ohio State is a better than um, slightly better than 50 percent chance to win the Big Ten. I'm just saying that like by their numbers, I understand why it makes sense. Win their division, Ohio State 71.3. Next in the East is Penn State 17.2. Then Indiana 7.5. Then Michigan 2 percent. Maryland, 1.1, Michigan State, 0.8, and Rutgers, literally zero. Literally no chance. Does that Penn State-Indiana differential surprise you? That must be based on recruiting. So from that standpoint, when they're taking that into account, no, it doesn't surprise me that much. Now, the one thing is, as we talk about on our list, like there are, Indiana has some guys on defense. They do have some guys on defense. 
and we haven't gotten to it yet, but we'll talk about like Michael Penix is at, at least a top 10 player for who Ohio State's facing this year. We have him as a top five player for Ohio State is facing this year. So much depends on the quarterback play for all these teams. And, and we're going to get into that with some of the guys on Tanner Morgan at Minnesota. So important to Ohio State this year. Anthony Brown at Oregon. So important to Ohio State this year. Whether it is Cade McNamara or J.J. McCarthy at Michigan. So important to Ohio State. Sean Clifford at Penn State. So important. Michael Penix, so important. There's a lot of guys that, you know, Michael Penix is better than all those other guys, but we still don't know exactly. Are we sure Michael Penix is everything he was at times last year? Because he wasn't at every single snap. You know, is Sean Clifford going to have a renaissance? Who's going to be Michigan's starting quarterback by the time we get to the Ohio State-Michigan game? We talk all the time about the fact that Ohio State does not play very many good quarterbacks during the regular season. There's not great quarterbacks on this schedule, but there's interesting guys. And as we've talked about in the past, there have been some Nate Stanley for Iowa, David Blau for Purdue, sometimes Connor Cook for Michigan State. You find the games that Ohio State has lost unexpectedly. And the opposing quarterback always plays well. Duh, duh. So it's not about like, is Tanner Morgan going to be an All-American? It's like, does Tanner Morgan have the ability on one night to play really well against Ohio State? Does Anthony Brown have that ability? Does Sean Clifford have that ability? Sean Clifford, I'm the most suspect about because he's kind of proven like, no, like he's got to change something. That is really interesting about are there guys who have a chance to flash in the moment? And that's what we'll get to. We'll start talking about some of those individual guys next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug Maurice with Nathan Baird. Try the text at 614-350-3315. I was yelling a lot on the last podcast, so I'm trying to – sometimes I want to go back and edit myself, and I'm like, that is – that is kind of hurting my ears to listen to myself. And that's me. And I never get tired of listening to myself. So I apologize if I hurt your ears yesterday with my passion. With I haven't looked yet to see if we got any reviews after I begged for a review either. That's a good that's a good question. I do know that people did respond well to the rant podcast. I think people would prefer more rant podcasts, especially if they have nothing to do with name, image, and likeness. That yes. was definitely the crux of the responses that I saw. The more I can rant against whole grain anything, I think that would be that's my that's my niche. Um, okay, so here's we're not going to go in order. I'm not going to read you our list. I mean, because you can go find it. You can go read it at Cleveland.com if you want to. We're going to jump around a little bit and talk about interesting people. Basically, the halfway point of our list again are the top 50 individual opponents Ohio State's going to face this year. We kind of put him there on purpose because he's like right in the middle. But I and we broke up. I'm writing a couple capsules. Our, our intern, Kayla Harvey, is doing a few. Nathan and Steven are doing the brunt of them. But I did the one that came out a couple of days ago on Tanner Morgan. He's number 25 on our list of the best opponents that Ohio State will face this season. He is the, let's see, third best quarterback on our list behind Michael Penix and Talia Tongavailoa from Maryland, who are higher than him on the list that we made. And Nathan, when I wrote it, I said that it feels like to me that Tanner Morgan might be, he's not the best player, but he might be the most important player that Ohio State's going to face because it's this Thursday night. Ohio State will be starting a guy who's never started a college football game before as their quarterback. Tanner Morgan is 18 and eight as a starter in college football. 
He was a second team all Big Ten choice in 2019. He was the second best quarterback in the Big Ten in 2019 behind Justin Fields and in and, and, and basically everything. And he had the best yards per attempt in 2019. And that he had the second best overall QB rating. Last year, 2020, had the sixth best rating in the Big Ten. He went from like a four to one touchdown to interception ratio to basically like a one to one touchdown to interception ratio. In 2019, he had Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman, 2,000-yard receivers who are NFL guys. He still did have Rashad Bateman last year. Rashad Bateman had 36 catches in five games. He played five of the seven games. He opted out, then opted back in. It was a weird year, but he still did have Rashad Bateman. And then Rashad Bateman was a first-round pick. If he's 2019 Tanner Morgan on Thursday night, September 2nd, Minnesota can win. They're a top-40 team. They don't have those two NFL receivers, but they have guys on that team who know what it feels like. And we put their running back in the top 10. He's coming. All right. What's his name? Um, Ibrahim. Yeah. Muhammad Ibrahim. If he's last year, Tanner Morgan, they don't have a chance. Now I'm not going to pretend I watched a lot of Tanner Morgan film, right? We will get, we'll do some of that before we get to the game. But do you agree or disagree with the idea of Tanner Morgan as potentially the most important opponent that Ohio State will face in the 12-game regular season? Is that a stretch by me? I don't think it's a stretch. I don't know if that's the vote I would give. I hadn't really thought of it quite like that. But uh, he certainly has to be in the conversation. And for all the reasons you're saying, I mean, well, this is a whole podcast unto itself, though I'm sure we'll come back to before uh, September 2nd. But there are a number of ways that this Minnesota game can fit into that template uh, trigger warning of the big 10 West upsets that Ohio state suffered in the last five years. You start talking about again, quarterbacks of this caliber. So, you know, it's not necessarily a first round draft pick kind of quarterback, but a guy who can go make pro rosters as David Blau has done as some of these other guys did in the past. Um, You've got other NFL talent, around him. I don't know if that probably applies to Ibrahim. I think it definitely applies to this offensive line that they're putting together at Minnesota. They've got a handful of pretty solid offensive linemen. So it starts to become an offense that you think could maybe they don't have to come in and blow the doors off Ohio State, but if they can control the game a little bit and, and take possessions away from Ohio State, that becomes a, a potential piece of an upset. Um, the one thing that's missing is I thought in both the case of Iowa and Purdue in, in 17 and 18, you saw teams that had underachieved to that point and maybe not that Ohio state overlooked them or whatever, but that there was, they, they were a team that hadn't, that, that had lulled a little bit and just needed that breakout. And I guess you could say that about Minnesota, even though this is a season opener, maybe 2020 was that lull. Maybe they're better than they showed all of last season and they could come out of the gate with something more. So I, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. And, and, and he is a big component of that though, because he is an example, one of several guys on this list and um, that have to kind of prove this year, whether or not they're an actually good quarterback or whether they're just a good big 10 quarterback. So I think the thing that that we may find as we try to analyze some teams that Ohio State's playing early in the year, how do I say this? So Ohio State, so Justin Fields clearly had kind of a jacked up year last year because of the pandemic. And we know that Ohio State was on, off, on, off, on, off. They missed three games. They didn't play like consecutive weekends for a month and a half. That clearly had an effect on Ohio State. Yet, I still would, I still would argue, I mean, they didn't play the Michigan game. 
But I still would argue that Ohio State kind of had a normal season, as many bumps as they had, because they got to play in a conference championship game. And then when they went to the playoff and they played it for a national championship, and like in the end, they kind of got to show who they were, even though, I mean, Justin Fields had some bumps that I would definitely say were pandemic related. Is that fair to say, Nathan, as we look back on I think that? Absolutely. Okay. I think absolutely. Yeah. And I think they probably had some defensive bumps that were pandemic related too. So it's not, nobody was unaffected, but I think maybe comparably Ohio state kind of was less affected than some other teams. Minnesota was three and four last year. They were 11 and two the year before it was the best season in half a century for Minnesota. I I mean, I, I don't know if like everybody at Minnesota is like literally throwing out last year, like literally is like, I don't even know what that was. None of it made sense, but that I think is something you have to be on the lookout for. If you're Ohio state, like literally treat them like an 11 and two team. And you have to talk your players and make sure you're doing that. Right. And the other thing is they had new offensive coordinators last year. It was like Kirk Shiraka went from Minnesota to Penn state and Minnesota missed him. And he was bad at Penn state. It's like he hurt two programs last year at once. And then he lost his gig at Penn state. But Minnesota was trying to work in Mike Sanford as a new guy. So they're going to have a second year with offensive coordinators, right? That obviously had an effect on Tanner Morgan, I think. He's been around forever. So I And I also think Minnesota qualifies under the thing that I've said a lot about, like schools like Northwestern. When they have no expectations, they have a chance to be good. And as soon as they're good and you give them expectations, they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? Oh, we were 11 and two last year. And they, and they, then they weren't very good at all, but now they weren't very good at all. Everybody underestimates them. PJ Fleck has them loaded for bear and Tanner Morgan comes out and throws for like 380 yards in the opener against Ohio state, right? Like we're not going to hand have a handle on it, right? We're going to watch, you know, I mean, he's, he has the job. It's not like there's a competition in Minnesota's camp. You know, the Minnesota reporters will get to watch practice a little bit. When we had Randy Johnson from the Minneapolis Star Tribune, who, to be fair, like didn't cover the team last year and is coming back on the beat, whatever, and, you know, is, is a good reporter, but wasn't like ingrained in Minnesota football last year. He honestly was a little bit like, ah, eh, Tanner Morgan, I don't know, right? Like, which was like, okay, well, that affected me. But I still think there's a chance that that's why I think we put Tanner Morgan 25 on this list. Because, and I wrote this in the capsules, like if you get 2019 Tanner Morgan, he's one of the 10 best players on Ohio State's schedule, like no doubt about it. If you get 2020 Tanner Morgan, I'm not sure he's in the top 50. He's just another generic, not very good Big Ten quarterback. But I think there, I I don't know which one it's going to be on Thursday night, September 2nd. And I think probably, I think there's a better chance he's a generic, not very good Big Ten quarterback and that he was just a product of Tyler Johnson. Rashad Bateman and a good scheme, but I think there might be like a 25% chance that no, actually he's pretty good. And last year was just messed up. Well, but the other wrinkle here is, you know, who else was kind of more or less just another big 10 quarterback was David Blau and Nate Stanley. Like those guys weren't amazing players forever. They just pull it off on one night sometimes too. That's the other thing that you have to be wary of is just, they figured out for one night. I, I think you're right though, about the, how COVID affected other teams more than some teams more than others. And I think we said it going into last year in some of the discussions we were having over that long, long, long summer of of uncertainty was just that a team like Ohio State was in better position to weather whatever was coming 
because your talent level was just so much higher. I was thinking of that today in relation, I don't know how quickly you want to move on to other things, but thinking of it in relation to the next top 50 thing I'm writing, which is about a Penn State player and about a team that definitely fell short of what was expected of it last year. And I, but all the things that went wrong for them in terms of their backfield just falling apart and the guys they expected to be there not being there and a number of other things that, that happened. And like when you're Ohio State, there's a greater chance of like another great player just almost being buried on your depth chart that can step up and help as we saw eventually with like Trey Sermon last year or whatever. But like at Penn State, it's still it's still better at Penn State than it is at uh, Purdue or Illinois, but it's less. And as you get farther down in the Big Ten, every little thing that goes wrong, I think, has a, uh, a greater margin for capsizing your season. Let me let me run this by you. And I think we said similar things to this while it was happening last year. I think when things go wrong right across the board, when there is a global pandemic, you get to figure out how everybody reacts in a crisis. That's sports teams. That's people you work with. That's your family. That's people at the grocery store. And all of a sudden, when stuff's pretty good. It's like everyone's kind of, you know, breezing along and doing their thing. And like life is, you know, for if, if you're lucky, if you're lucky, if you're extremely lucky and privileged, life, frankly, maybe isn't that difficult. You just kind of go along and then you never you're not really tested and you don't really know what the people around you are going to be like when maybe all of a sudden you don't get to do exactly what you want to do every minute of every day and life gets hard. And there are sacrifices involved and you have to think about the people around you and you have to adjust your routine and all those things that happened in life. I think we all know our neighbors and our friends and our family members a little bit more than we did before the pandemic. And I think at least for some of us and in some of those relationships, you're like, oh, so that's how you are. I didn't know that. I didn't know that when you were just like a wing-eating dude hanging out and everything was peachy. And it's like, oh, now the going got a little rough. And now I know what you're like. And I think crises exacerbate the gap between people who can like handle their business and people who can't. And I think the crisis last year exacerbated the gap between the best of the best of the best of the best and just the good. And like Ohio State had far from a perfect season, but to Ohio State's credit, they found a way. Ryan Day, Gene Smith, Justin Fields provided leadership, and they still wound up kind of getting to where they would have gotten anyway. Michigan and Penn State, their programs were on fire. In the moment when it got tough, the gap between Ohio State and everybody else in the Big Ten, including Michigan and Penn State, widened. It accordioned out. But now we're going to get back to normal. And I think the gap is going to shrink. And I think that applies to Penn State. I think it applies to Michigan. And I think it applies here to Minnesota. So Ohio State is still better than everybody else in the Big Ten because Ohio State has been better than everybody else in the Big Ten for like 20 years or longer, or, or, I mean, what he took over in 1951, how, how long has that been? 70, 70 years. Yeah. But I think it grew last year. I think it's going to shrink back to normal. And so 
you know, if, if Ohio State is normally five steps ahead of everybody, and then last year they were 10 steps ahead of everybody, I don't think anybody should think they're still 10 steps ahead. I think they're back to five steps ahead, not because of Ohio State, but because the other programs aren't going to crumble because it's not going to be craziness. It's going to be more normal. It's like, well, their players aren't as good as Ohio State's players, but at least they'll get to practice together. At least they don't have to worry about, well, there's a COVID test on a Thursday or whatever. And that I think we're, we're talking specifically about Minnesota here, Nathan. Nobody doubts that, right? But there was a time a year ago when we were like looking ahead and be like, hey, that Minnesota game on a Thursday night. And then Minnesota had a jacked up year. Tanner Morgan had a jacked up year. And I think we've all relaxed from that. And maybe we shouldn't relax from that too much because in a normal world, Minnesota's best, if Minnesota plays its best, and Minnesota's at home on a Thursday and Ohio State's starting a new quarterback, Minnesota's best can get Ohio State. And in a non-pandemic world, in a non-pandemic season, they have a much better chance of playing at their best. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up that prediction because it was one where we were predicting when Ohio State would next lose a Big Ten game. And Stephen and I both picked that Minnesota game. And how many different variables have changed since then? Number one was just, as you're saying, the esteem that everyone had for Minnesota. I think people assessed them as being better than they turned out to be for last season. And that's left that kind of uh, unanswered question as we start 2021. But then look at the the roster for Ohio State, how different it is going to be. Like we, I think at that point, assumed certainly that there would be no Thayer Munford around. Why would we think he'd still be here? We didn't think probably even that Chris Olave would still be on this team. And now you've got two All-American receivers instead of like one potential All-American receiver. There's like so many, though any one of those changes changes the complexion of that comparison between those two teams. And now you start to look at this pile of talent over here for Ohio state that has grown even greater than it would have been. And then at Minnesota, I feel like it in our minds, it has receded, but I started to come a little bit full circle on it. Going back to the conversation we were just having a couple of minutes ago, when you start looking at the full roster and I don't think Ibrahim is like an Ohio state caliber starting running back. You know what I'm saying? Like the average right. Ohio State starting running back. I don't think he's that good. I think it's one of those things that happens in the Big Ten sometimes where there's like a couple of great running backs and then somebody else has to be first team. And the Ohio State guys last year, nobody put together a complete first team kind of season. So that allows people like Ibrahim to rise up. Maybe he'll prove me wrong, whatever. But like it, last year was not a great year for running backs in the Big Ten. Um but I think he's solid, and I think with that offensive line in front of that, I think the question now is who's going to play defense and can Minnesota stop Ohio State? That could be the tough part of that. David Cobb, back in like 2014, was a Minnesota running back, kind of back when it was like, hey, the Big Ten has all these great running backs, and everybody was talking about him. He's like a 1,200-yard guy, and he was like a fifth-round pick in the NFL. He wasn't a superstar, but like he's a good player, and I think Ibrahim might be a guy like that, right? They're like, good player, good player. You know, give him a chance. Like he's a real dude, but he's not going to do a bunch of stuff on his own, right? If the if the line doesn't get stuff blocked up, we did have um, like we have four Minnesota players overall in our top fifty. We have they have a linebacker coming, so they have a, a pretty good defensive guy. But we have Tanner Morgan in there. Ibrahim's in our top ten, and then we had Blaze Andrees on the offensive line. Listen, we didn't want to put a bunch of Minnesota offensive linemen in our top fifty. They had about like three guys who were in the mix though, yeah. but they have like real dudes who are back, which you know. Again, every time I, I assess a team in the preseason, I look at the two lines and the, and the quarterback. They've got a super experienced quarterback who's made 26 career starts and a pretty experienced offensive line and a good running back. And that's not a bad place to start for an offense. So Tanner Morgan, be on alert. Uh, you know, which Tanner Morgan Minnesota gets is going to matter to the Ohio State Buckeyes. 
All right, let's go to another quarterback that I want to talk about on our list of the best players that Ohio State is going to face in this 2021 season. Let me double check how many quarterbacks were on our list overall. We have eight quarterbacks on our list. So we have eight of the 12 quarterbacks. Well, actually, one team has two quarterbacks. So seven of the teams have a quarterback on our list of the top 50 for the 12 Ohio State opponents. This guy was the seventh of the eight quarterbacks that we listed. And Nathan, I think you wrote him up. You did. It's Anthony Brown, the quarterback for Oregon. Sixth year guy, transfer from Boston College. And I think in a lot of ways, like fits a lot of what we just said about Tanner Morgan, right? Like he's not great, but if he plays his best, like they're getting Tanner Morgan and Anthony Brown the first two weeks who combined have been in college football for 11 seasons and an Ohio state starting a guy who's never done it. It's just a veteran guy, Nathan, who is, who does have more talent around him at Oregon than what Tanner Morgan has around him at Minnesota, but Anthony Brown, how he plays absolutely has an effect on Ohio state season. I'm really intrigued by him because I don't know that we've ever fully gotten to see uh, by, by we, I mean, college football has really gotten to see what he's about. He kept getting hurt. Uh, he, he took over as a starting QB as a retro freshman and then towards ACL during the season. I think he came back and played a, another full season and then um, suffered a, another season in the injury about halfway through 2019, then transfers to Oregon last year. Doesn't beat out uh Schuff to start the year, but then um eventually by the end of the year that was the guy who was playing I think it just in the bowl game they finally turned to him and that was what sort of ushered Shuff out so I mean I'm I'm really intrigued by what is there I mean he, he has there's there are things about his game that are uh, questionable you know but, but there's other things where like the, the completion percentage has been okay at times good touchdown to interception ratio it could be one of those things where as long as a quarterback comes in and plays efficiently and plays smartly and plays with a little bit of that veteran savvy that when you've got two running backs like Oregon does, you've got other talent on that field. It's going to be, it might be the best defense Ohio state plays all year. And they're getting him in the, the second game of the year. I mean, there, there are a lot of elements there that make Oregon a dangerous team. Oregon 17th overall in ESPN's football power index, but 12th best playoff odds in ESPN's FPI index, and that makes them the highest in the Pac-12. So I was reading some other Oregon sites, and I don't know that everybody at Oregon, the fan base, I don't know that they believe in Anthony Brown 100%. They have some young quarterbacks that I think people are interested in. And, you know, one of the things I was reading was like, hey, well, should like they just kind of punt on this year and like play the young guys, pick a young quarterback, and let him grow and like in two years really make a run. But then they were also like, well, th- like Oregon might make the playoff this year. <laughs> like there's a lot of talent on this team, man. Like, I mean, and not just on our list. I mean, because we're dealing from a, this is only regular season opponents for Ohio state, obviously. And it's people who actually play, not other people from the West or whatever. But I mean, um, multiple defensive backs, a uh, linebacker, like there's just talent all, all over the place on this Oregon team. I think they're to, to the idea that they would just like, take a pass on this year, but I understand the, the, the crossroads that the fans probably see in their head a little bit, you know, do you, can you trust this 
veteran to get you there. And if not, are you better off rolling the dice with somebody younger? It, it maybe if it, even if it doesn't pay off this year, it pays off more down the line. Yeah. And I, and I think, I mean, I think what you have to do is like, well, you, you play Anthony Brown to start the year. And like, if, if Ohio state blows out Oregon and it's like, Oh no, yeah, no, it's not him. Uh, and then you can like, then you can make a change if you want to. Right. I mean like right. that's, but you've, you've got to give yourself a shot. Like, to, to knock out Ohio state. And that one of your great edges is the fact that you have a veteran quarterback. So like, you can't give away that edge. Uh, um, Oregon opens at home against Fresno state on Saturday, September 4th. Then it's at Ohio state. Then they play Stony Brook, which is like, I don't even know if I knew Stony Brook had a football team uh, before they get into their, Pac-12 schedule. So they at least got to take a shot. But as we said, nine Oregon players on our list, that includes two receivers and two running backs. And they and that at least one offensive lineman. Again, they've got a couple different guys on offense. And again, not to give it away, Kayvon Thibodeau is the best player Ohio State's going to play in the regular season. He's number one on our list, the edge rusher from Oregon. That's no surprise to anybody. But they do a Noah Sewell linebacker, five-star recruit. He's high on our list. He's a he's a young guy who could could pop by week two and be like even much better than he was last year. But they have a veteran receiver. They have a young receiver. We don't know exactly who their starting running back is going to be. And you just did CJ Verdell from Oregon as one of the latest guys on our list. You know, like they they have options. And, and a little bit like last year with Masters, it's one of those things like last year, like Master Teague and Trey Sermon, like for Ohio State, we were kind of like, well, where's Ezekiel Elliott? Like, this isn't good enough for Ohio State. Listen, man, like if you're a normal team and it's like, man, we have Trey Sermon and Master Teague. We have yeah. both those guys. We have two options. I don't know if if Travis Dye and C.J. Verdell, how they compare to Trey Sermon and Master Teague. I'm going to guess neither of them would be able to run for 300 yards in a conference championship game, so they're probably not as good. But Oregon has at least some options. And as you said, the defense is really good, but they have some options of their skill guys that are maybe a little better than I anticipated. Yeah. And again, well, what has been kind of the way that teams have pulled these sorts of upsets against Ohio state. And this wouldn't be quite the same thing. Cause this is going to be a team that's ranked and has a national respect the way that Iowa and Purdue did in those games, but it, it's fine. It's utilizing your NFL talent elsewhere. Even if your quarterback is not, a, a real pro, a guy who's going to go have like a long NFL career, but certainly like Rondell Moore and those tight ends from Iowa. And like those guys were those players. And if you can find a way to maximize those guys in their matchups, then that's where those upsets can happen. And Oregon doesn't just have one or two of those guys. They've got a handful and it's both sides of the ball. I mean, this is it, Oregon might be the best team Ohio state plays all year until he, until he gets to the playoff. If it gets there. Did you, was there anything about Verdell in particular? He, we had him ranked higher than die. Those are the two running backs for Oregon. Uh, Verdell actually is actually number 22 right. on our list. He's the guy that just went up on Tuesday, June 29th, as we're recording this. Was there anything particularly intriguing about him? Well, the thing about him is he actually had the better first couple of years. I mean, he went over a thousand yards as both a freshman and a sophomore. And then last year started off strong at a couple hundred yard games and then got hurt, tried to play through the injury and sort of stumbled down the stretch and then wasn't even playing late in the season for the, the bowl game that they played in, I think, or even the Pac-12 championship game. I think what's, what jumped out to me was I looked back at it 2019 and I was looking at some of the PFF stats on him and he ranked something like pretty high. I can't remember the, I think it might've been second in, 
I think it was second behind Zach Moss in all of FBS in yards after contact per attempt. It was like 4.1 yards per attempt after contact, which is tells me that's a pretty tough guy. He's not that big. He's like 5'9", 210, something like that maybe. So not, not a huge running back, but, but solidly built guy. And so it tells me he's got the toughness to like grind out yards, but then also he had like three or four rushes of 70 or more yards that year. So he can break it away too. I think that's a, it's a multi-talented guy. And then on top of that, you've got Travis Dye in the backfield with him who it's not even really necessarily like a change of pacing. I think Oregon has a lot of confidence in both of those guys as um, all around backs that can do a lot of things to hurt a defense. At receiver, Johnny Johnson for Oregon. He's in our top 20. We have not gotten to him yet. And then Devin Williams was number 45 on our list. He's a young guy. And it's, again, like the young guys almost, I think, scare you more. And there's a young Penn State guy that I want to talk about that. All right, well, they kind of showed something early. but And, and Garrett Wilson is, is not the threshold. Because <laughs> Garrett Wilson is going to be like a top 15 pick and was a five-star recruit. But like at a, at a lower level. Right. Like if if a player like Garrett Wilson was good, he was good. He was good as a freshman. He was good as a freshman. And then like as a sophomore, he was ready to set the world on fire. more, Right. And that just says if you just have a guy who was pretty good getting his feet under him early and then it's like by the next year, like he's ready to roll. Devin Williams is a little bit of that. Maybe for me at Oregon, there's a guy named Parker Washington I want to get to at Penn State, who I think is is similar. And I actually compared him to Garrett Wilson when I wrote about him. Um, but Oregon, again, nine guys on our list, both sides of the ball. Alex Forsyth, an offensive lineman in there. They also have a couple other kind of offensive linemen, even though they lost Panay Sewell, who was a top 10 pick, who opted out last year, who if it had been a normal year last year, we would have seen him blocking Ohio State defensive ends. And, and we didn't get to see that. Oregon's pretty talented Nathan like it's it's one of these things there's I think there is sometimes a difference between a good team and a talented team and, and a lot of times when Ohio State is playing like a good team I think Minnesota is like a more like a good team it's like yeah but are they actually talented enough to hang with Ohio State o- Oregon has guys they're not as talented as Ohio State but they have some future NFL guys and that's just next level and again that's not necessarily what Iowa and Purdue did to Ohio State when they knocked him off. But on the other hand, we talk about, you know, they're off into Josh Jackson for Iowa or Rondale Moore for Purdue. Sometimes if you have like one guy like that and then your quarterback plays well and you have a good game plan that can do it, Oregon has some guys. So I do think people don't be scared of Oregon's talent level, but respect Oregon's talent level. Well, and yeah, in general, I think that's a good approach to take as a fan. You know, don't 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 fear anyone but respect. I think that's like a John Wooden quote, right? Fear fear no opponent, but respect all opponents. Something like that. I don't know, but I, I I agree with what you're saying because I feel like Oregon and Indiana are the two teams on this schedule that I feel have uh, a, a different test than a lot of the other teams on this schedule. Uh, partially because of the way things went last year for teams like Penn State and Michigan, they've almost sort of you get to almost lump them in with the teams that have a lot to prove that normally aren't very good, but. It's weird that Ohio State has been more susceptible in the Big Ten to these kind of strange crossover road upsets than they have been when going head-to-head against teams that are supposed to be really good. And a team like Indiana and a team like Oregon now are in the position where they don't get to come in and spring an upset. It'll be an upset on paper, but it won't be an upset the same way those other games are. Um, They're going to be considered good college football teams now. 
like better than good, like, you know, upper, upper class college football teams. Now, assuming Indiana doesn't have something screwy go on early and comes in with a good record for that game. I think we all expect that to happen. So now how do you stand up when now you are expected to be able to play on Ohio state's level? Remember we've talked about last year, it's 35 to seven before things really get going for Indiana in that game. But how is it going to be when people go into this game and expect you to be able to play into the fourth quarter with someone and not get buried like they did last year. All right. When I mentioned Indiana briefly, Indiana again uh, has seven people on our list of the top 50, four of our top 14 are Indiana players, which is not normally how it would be for Indiana. So I think that is both a credit to Indiana and a little bit of an indictment of the like proven talent level at places like Penn state, Michigan right now, that it's like Indiana has four of the top 14. So there's not a ton of, of Indiana guys. We've already done four defensive players for Indiana. Michael Penix is our number one quarterback. I just want to mention Indiana, um, but you know, we'll get to them. We'll do another podcast like this closer to the end of the list. Again, we're in the twenties right now. We're a little more than halfway through, but I do now want to talk about the quarterbacks, the eight quarterbacks on our list, our order of quarterbacks that we put, and we had a big, Big 10 quarterback podcast already. So I don't want to repeat that too much. Michael Penix was one. Talia Tonga Vialoa was two. Tanner Morgan was three. JJ McCarthy from Michigan was four. Sean Clifford for Penn State, five. Adrian Martinez from Nebraska, six. Anthony Brown from Oregon, seven. And Cade McNamara from Michigan was eight. Those are the eight quarterbacks who made our top 50. I want to get to the two Michigan guys, but I also want to talk about the two sort of blah veteran. Big 10 quarterbacks we put there. We put them back to back. I don't know what to do with them. We don't know what to do with them. Nathan, it's like, like I guess you can't leave them out. We put Sean Clifford from Penn State 37th and Adrian Martinez from Nebraska 38th. I, I don't think at this point either of them are guys that like Ohio State fans are worried about. They've kind of proven that like, they're not good enough generally. They're average generally. And against Ohio State, they're not good enough. We had to put them on the list, but I mean, is that, is that going to change? Is that perception going to change? I mean, you mentioned earlier about how there really isn't a competition with Tanner Morgan. It's not like we have to follow along, but there is sort of a competition, this internal competition, and it may have already been decided. Like, again, how good are you? Are you a capital G good college football quarterback? So people, you know, will talk about you among the better players in the sport, or are you just a good big 10 quarterback? where the standard, frankly, is lower. This is not a quarterback. It's not a league known for producing quarterbacks with any regularity, as we've talked about many times on Buckeye Talk. So I think both of these guys go into presumably their final year and are in Morgan's same way. Like, how good are you? Like, are you just another guy in the Big Ten, the sort of noodle arm uh, stiff that you've talked about many times? I guess Adrian Martinez isn't a stiff. He's, he's a pretty mobile guy. But, like, are, are you are, – are, have you hit your ceiling? Are we have we already seen as good as you can be, and we know that you're not going to be able to lift a team beyond that. And all three of those guys are in position somewhat where they are going to have to lift a team in order for it to beat Ohio State. The thing about Martinez was he flashed that he came in to Ohio Stadium in 2018 and kind of put it on a bad Ohio State defense. But he showed glimpses of something that day, right? He looked like he was going to be something. He, that was a sophomore, Adrian Martinez, growing towards even being something better. I think he was a sophomore or was he a freshman at that point? He might have been a redshirt freshman. 
but but a young Adrian Martinez. You think there's years ahead of him. He's getting better. He's going to grow beyond that. And then Ohio State went out to Lincoln the next year and made him look like a high school JV guy and just just des- just devastated him. So he's it's just a guy with a lot to prove. And I feel the same way about Sean Clifford. I feel like some of his performances have been a little bit better. He got hurt at Ohio Stadium in 2019. Didn't get to finish that game for people who remember how weird that got sort of towards the end. Um, did not do anything great last year, partially because uh, Penn State tried to run him a lot. And that, that, that wasn't going anywhere against Ohio State's defensive front, which I thought owned that game. Jonathan Cooper, Tommy Toga, Haskell Garrett really owned that game last year at State College. So do they find a way to kind of make him uh, multifaceted again, Penn State, I'm saying? Do they find a way to, to, to use kind of his all-around skills and not have him uh, become one-dimensional, which really is just playing into Ohio State strengths? So to zero in on Penn State now a little bit, again, nine Penn State guys on our list of the top 50. That ties with Oregon for the most. They have some interesting young defensive players that we haven't gotten to on our list yet. Joey Porter at corner, um, the son of, uh, of the former NFL player, I think is a really interesting guy. Brandon Smith at linebacker is kind of stepping in for Micah Parsons. He was a big-time recruit. They have a couple other guys in the defensive backfield. Rasheed Walker at tackle, I think, is, is, is one of the best tackle prospects around. And then this is what matters most for Sean Clifford is that they have Jahan Dotson, who we put in our top 10, who people remember last year from the one-handed catches against Sean Wade in the Penn State Ohio State game. And then Parker Washington, we put number 47 on our list. And then as I was writing up the Parker Washington capsule a couple of weeks ago, I was kind of going like, man, I think we have him too low because I he is a guy that I really leaned into kind of like the Garrett Wilson light comparison. One of the reasons is because he's from Texas. Now, he was not a five-star recruit, but he was a pretty good recruit. Four-star recruit in the class of 2020, number 276 overall player, number 45 overall receiver. Had offers from Wisconsin, Utah, Nebraska, Boston College. And his junior year, he caught 75 passes for 1,486 yards and 18 touchdowns. Wasn't Didn't have quite as big numbers as senior, but that's like the, the year he was coming off of when he committed to Penn State. So like a big like a big time Texas receiver, which is like okay, well Ohio State goes and takes like Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and the Jigba, and Penn State's probably not going to get those guys. But then they're trying they get like the next cut of guy, and guess what? There's a lot of talent in that next cut. So he last year was the best freshman receiver in the Big Ten. He had 36 catches for 489 yards in nine games. He had six touchdowns among freshman receivers in the Big Ten. He was first in catches, yards, and touchdowns. He was seventh in the nation among Power Five conference freshman receivers in receiving yards per game. And he had two huge games, which is like, again, from our perspective, right, analyzing it, Nathan, we don't actually, it's not about like how good you are every game. It's like, how good can you be against Ohio State? Last year, Parker Washington, eight catches for 70 yards and two touchdowns against Maryland. And he set a Penn State true freshman record. He had nine catches against Michigan for 93 yards and he had six touchdowns and James Franklin was talking with Sean Clifford about how often this guy makes one-handed catches in practice, which again is like the kind of thing of like, he's not some like solid, um, you know, like possession receiver, right? Like this guy has some talent and he's only their second best receiver. Cause John Dotson is like the real deal. If Sean Clifford is competent, right. And this guy comes on, I think by the time, Ohio State plays Penn State in the middle of the season. 
That is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Penn State's, or excuse me, Ohio State's eighth game of the season is home against Penn State. I think Dotson and Washington could be legit. Not Olave and Garrett Wilson legit, but the cut right below that. Watch out for Parker Washington. When I was reading about this guy and checking on him, that's what I kept thinking. And on the list of things of like, general things like not just players like what should what could mess up ohio state season like excuse me mess up ohio state season like penn state skill guys we've seen it before like chris godwin was an unbelievable receiver at penn state mike gusecki was a problem at tight end at penn state saquon barkley and miles sanders were really good running backs penn state gets skill guys sometimes and i think they might have two of them at receiver this year nathan and i think it's something ohio state fans just need to be aware of well, I think that that second guy is always critical. You mentioned it before. And when you can take away one guy, when you can at least limit one guy, then that that doesn't put a strain on your defense. You get to remove the strain of your defense. You get to play a little bit freer. You get to kind of dictate things. When you have to adjust your plan to, to better uh, take away, to better limit a guy who's starting to break out on you, kind of like Dotson did last year, then that opens up something else in the defense for that second guy. And if that second guy steps up, the thing that doesn't kill Ohio state a lot of times is a lot of times that second guy isn't going to be good enough. Even if somebody breaks through and has one guy that's having a really good game, that that second guy, you're going to still have a huge talent edge there. It's when that starts to like you, like you're saying, when that starts to decrease and where is that most likely to happen? Maybe between any two positions this year, as far as what we know about this Ohio state team going into the year, it's probably between receiver and cornerback right now right yeah because because Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington aren't going against Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson so they're not as good as them but they might be better than the cornerbacks that Ohio State is trying to cover them with exactly right and I, I you know I, I hate to keep bringing up these examples but go back and look at 2017 against Iowa yes Ohio Iowa had those big the future NFL uh, tight ends and Hawkins Smith and Fant but you know who else had a big game in that game? Like Akram Wadley, who nobody has remembered since then. And then 2018 against Purdue, everybody remembers Rondo Moore, but they had this little running back named DJ Knox that had a big game that day. Like there's that second guy, If if you when you have to adjust and take away the, the, the primary guy, that sometimes opens the door for that secondary guy. I mean, Ohio State kills people with that all the time. It's just a matter of like not allowing yourself to be susceptible to it on the flip side. So keep an eye on it. I mean, back when like Godwin was was at Penn State like, with Deshaun Hamilton, who was a pretty good pairing at receiver for them um, and got some yards against Ohio State. But again, it, it's it's the if you're if you are concerned about Ohio State secondary, which at this point, I mean, you have to be at least curious, if not concerned, then it's like, well, who can take advantage of it? And I do think Oregon has a couple guys who have a chance to take advantage of it. I don't know about Minnesota. Like it's still it feels like their their receivers are unsettled. I, I guess Maryland might have a guy. Does Maryland have a guy who we think we'll might be able out. to take we, advantage of it? We just wrote up a thing. Steven just did a write-up on Rakeem Jarrett, who people probably remembered. When when Mike Loxley got the Maryland job, they pulled this five-star receiver, um, and that kind of announced his arrival as a recruiting force again at Maryland. And he did. Yeah, I think he was okay as a freshman, but I think this is a year with him combined with Tagovailoa in a full season where you might get this really see what he's all about this may be the year for him to make that sort of that jump up to the next level I do think though the Oregon game if I was an Ohio State fan the Oregon game still 
concerns me more than maybe Penn State does just because so much may still be unsettled about the secondary earlier in the year. You got Cam Brown coming off an injury. He would only be back for like his second game at that point. You're going to be relying on maybe some younger guys who are stepping up and playing. And by the time you play Penn State on October 30th, they'll have had several games and things might have like kind of started to settle down a little bit by then. But that second game of the year uh, even though it's at home and you've got some advantages with the, the noon kickoff and all that stuff, that's still a pretty fresh uh, scenario for several guys on this defense and the whole linebacking crew, by the way. 10 of our 50 on the list of best Ohio State opponents are receivers. That might just be us leading skill guys. It, some component of that is us leading skill guys because like it's sort of easier to find information on receivers than it is on like guards. But I also think it's, at least some component of it is legit. This is true, although I will I do want to point this out. And I pointed this out when we did the list because we were kind of we were willing to manipulate things a little bit to make the list uh, make more sense. And I think something like the first uh, eight guys and 10 of the first 11 and 12 of the first 15 or something like that were offensive players. And then as you get farther up this list, it switches. And this is a very defensive heavy list at the top. When we do another one of these podcasts, a lot of defensive players at the top of this list. Uh, which is, I think, is an interesting balance. And we didn't end up changing really anything because we knew that it would even out in the long run. I just thought it was going to be weird that people who started watching this series we we're doing would wonder why we're just doing like receiver, quarterback, running back, receiver, receiver, quarterback. And it, it does even out in the long run. But I, I think the the proven true talent that Ohio State is going to face this year is sort of concentrated on defense. Our top three guys on the list are defensive ends, which makes it a good thing that Ohio State has Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Fair and yep. Paris Johnson in reserve at <laughs> tackle if they need it. The receivers that we ranked, David Bell from Purdue was the top receiver that we have that Ohio State's going to face. Now, David Bell's really good. He just doesn't have the stuff around him that, like, I don't, you know, Purdue has two of the top five players on our list and, like, nobody else. Like, Purdue has, like, two of the, Purdue might have like two of the 30 best players in college football and like literally nobody else. We snuck um, Xander Horvath into the bottom. I think he's like 49th, uh, 48th, 49th, somewhere around in there. Fine. I think he was like a third team, all big 10 guy last year. Interesting guy, but those other two guys are legit. I mean, uh, uh, George Karloftis is going to be a, a high NFL draft pick by all estimations. And David Bell, I think is legitimate too. He was a freshman, all American and, and had a productive year last year too. When Moore was out. Yeah. Xander Horvath, a fullback. Yeah. Like he's the third Purdue guy. I mean, we got in the bottom. He's a glorified list. fullback. Yeah. yeah. So David Bell's first Jahan, da- uh, Jahan Dotson from Penn state. Second Ty Fry Fogel from Indiana's third on our list. Johnny Johnson from Oregon's fourth Rakeem Jarrett fifth. Aaron Cruikshank from Rutgers is sixth. He's a return man as much as he's a receiver. Ronnie Bell from Michigan is seventh. Jalen Naylor from Michigan State, who actually had pretty good stats last year, is eighth. Devin Williams from Oregon, ninth. Parker Washington from Penn State is tenth. So those are some of the most interesting guys, and we're going to end with talking about Michigan and this quarterback situation and how we view those Michigan quarterbacks and some other Michigan guys and where they fit on Ohio State's best opponents for 2021. We'll finish that up next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Nathan and Doug, a Thursday pod should be talking with Brandon Huffman about JT Tumalau, one way or another. Again, you know, maybe by the time you hear this, something has happened with JT Tumalau. But as we're recording this Tuesday afternoon, it has not happened yet. And as Nathan mentioned earlier, Friday, Buckeye Fly Effect, 
We are coming up. July 1st is the 10 year anniversary of Nebraska officially joining the Big Ten. And so we are going to look back and be like, whoa, what if that ever happened? And I think from our perspective, as Nate said, I'd be like, I don't know. Would you even notice? So we're going to have Lee Barfneck to his, you know, uh, now retired. We're pulling him off the golf course to come on this podcast. Knows he's the best guy. I mean, uh, you know, retired or currently working. There's nobody I'd rather talk to about Nebraska athletics and this kind of thing than Lee Barfneck. So he's he's going to be great. He's going to be on with us. That'll be it's a little different. But I think I mean, it was such Nathan. Oh, my God. It was such a thing 10 years ago. You know, I, I, I remember like we we sent uh, Mike Carmen, who's been on the, the podcast before a uh, long time now, Purdue football writer. He he actually grew up a Nebraska fan. So I think there's kind of a double dip for him. It was like part part work, part pleasure to go. But like during the summer, before, as they were coming into the Big Ten, he flew out to Lincoln and did like a big spread, like a couple days spread about everything that was about Nebraska and them joining the conference and all this stuff. And it was kind of, I remember it being just a huge deal at the time. And it's unfortunate, I think for Nebraska, I guess, primarily, but really for the big 10 as a whole, that it really hasn't worked out that way. No, that the, the fact that it was supposed to be a big splash and it basically is just like adding a number. Oh, well, like after they went from 11 to 12, well, I don't know. I guess that's fine. Is interesting. So we'll get into that. That's what the Friday's podcast is going to be. All right. Let's wrap this up with where we put, Michigan guys, Michigan guys, six guys on this list. That's the fourth most of any school. Um, and that's even a little bit misleading because two of them are quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, and tough. Like Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end, he's up there. Daxton Hill, talented five-star safety. Um, he's coming up soon. He's actually, he's actually the guy that is going to be released Wednesday morning. I have to, uh, I have to write that tonight. So that'll be up Wednesday morning. Daxton Hill, uh, the Michigan safety, then JJ McCarthy at quarterback, um, Ronnie Bell, the receiver. We don't know who their running back's going to be, so we lumped them all together. Hassan Haskins, Blake Corum, and Donovan Edwards. Donovan Edwards, like the the freshman that is like their version of Trayvon Henderson. Like it's very interesting. Like JJ McCarthy is their version of Kyle McCord, and Donovan Edwards is their version of Trayvon Henderson. But like we don't know how much they're going to play. Like Michigan doesn't have as many guys blocking supposedly right i mean ohio state guys get more blocked kyle mccord's more blocked than jj mccarthy is but we jj mccarthy still might not start and donovan edwards i mean travion henderson's like forcing his way on the field we think uh but we don't know if donovan edwards is going to because i don't like we just can't figure out harbaugh so he makes it hard and then uh Cade mcnamara we had 50th so that was we mostly want to talk about the quarterbacks because nathan like we kind of didn't know exactly what to do when we had um you know, Aaron McMahon on from MLive.com, the Michigan writer on our, on our quarterback podcast. And we were like, Hey, JJ McCarthy. He was like, I don't think he's going to start. So I was like, okay, well, I guess, you know, but we still rank JJ McCarthy higher because just if, even that maybe Jim Harbaugh doesn't think he's better, but we don't have to go by what Jim Harbaugh says. So we put Cade McNamara 50th on this list and Michigan's expected veteran starting quarterback. And we put JJ McCarthy 28th. I don't know. We were just, uh, did that, did we do that right to rank them the way we did? I think so. I, you know, it, to me, it's a, it, this is a bad analogy, but if you were to predict, if you were to rank Ohio state's players, I think you would probably rank even for 2021, you'd rank Jack Sawyer ahead of Tyler Friday, but Tyler Friday might end up with more snaps this year. It's a bad analogy because they're both going to play. Whereas with the quarterbacks, you're only playing one of them at a time. But I, I, I think it's a acknowledgement of, 
in all, in all of these spots. I think we were trying to acknowledge what each of these players could, how dangerous they could be for Ohio State if given the opportunity, and then if they play up to their potential. Um, that's why you know nobody at Akron and nobody at Tulsa was going to rank very high on this list. But at, at, at all of these other schools, there plausibly somebody could threaten Ohio State because they have enough players who are that good. And I think that in the case of these these Michigan quarterbacks, again, I think that when you look at um, McNamara, isn't he? He seems to be more like the conversation we were already having with about Tanner Morgan, about um, Sean Clifford. Like in, it, he seems to be maybe more limited to that kind of performance. Whereas with um, McCarthy, we don't know if that breakthrough comes as a freshman. If it does, if he has the opportunity to actually get on the field against Ohio State as a five-star true freshman quarterback, like if we believe Ohio State's true freshman or redshirt freshman five-star quarterbacks could be really good this year, why wouldn't we believe that of J.J. McCarthy? Yeah, which is the complicating thing, right? I mean, again, like Ohio State. So like J.J. Uyunglele and Bryce Young at Clemson, Alabama are with the C.J. Stroud group. They're all second-year guys. Mm-hmm. even though they haven't started before. And then Kyle McCord and J.J. McCarthy, they're like the new guys. But, yeah, I mean, like, we, we're having trouble trying to figure out C.J. Stroud with his group, and we're, trying, we're having trouble find, trying to figure out Kyle McCord with his group. But we think Kyle McCord, like, still has a chance, like, to be Ohio State's quarterback and be good. So why wouldn't we think that of J.J. McCarthy? So, again, J.J. McCarthy, you guys know it. Ryan Day basically could have had either of them. He could have had Kyle McCord. He could have had J.J. McCarthy. J.J. McCarthy's from Illinois. He wanted to come to Ohio State. Ohio State picked Kyle McCord. Ari, Ari on the spot, Ari Wasserman, like went to like J.J. McCarthy's high school like a couple days afterward. And J.J. McCarthy was like, I want to kill him. That's uh, that's from uh, that's from the uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall part. I'll kill you. Um, so. That's I, I don't think he said I'll kill you, but uh, I always it's like funny when I put it in the story. I said when McCarthy told the athletic, and it's like he didn't tell the athletic, he told Ari. Ari just goes in there. I mean, wait, Ari's the best. It's like Ari's just like, hey, I mean, what do you think about this? And JJ McCarthy is like, boom. Um, he said, I used to love them, now I want to kill them. I actually, take it back. I said he didn't say I'll kill you. No, he did say I'll kill you. He said, now I want to kill them. I want to kill them. Yes. I'll kill you. So um, it's super interesting. So like he's that good though. And so it would be great to see like a like three-year Kyle McCord, J.J. McCarthy showdown, like within the rivalry. But like, I don't know that we're going to get that like on either side. We don't, we don't know how this quarterback stuff is going to go, but like J.J. McCarthy is good. So he transferred to IMG for his senior year, but over his high school career, these are by the stats that Michigan listed in their bio about J.J. McCarthy. He threw 94 touchdowns against 13 interceptions in high school. So that's pretty good. And um, last year as a senior at IMG, he was 92 of 165. That's 56%. 16 touchdowns, no picks. So I mean, whatever, high school raw stats. But this is the thing that I looked up that I wanted to make sure I talked about here. I looked up the last 10 years the top 10 quarterbacks combined. I, I don't like separating the dual threat and the pro style anymore. It's all fake anyway. And everybody's everything. 
That's the thing you did like 15 years ago. So just the 10 best quarterbacks by 247 Sports in each recruiting class, right? So that's 100 guys. The 10 best guys for 10 years. How many of those quarterbacks signed with a Big Ten team wasn't Ohio State? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like the other Big Ten teams, there's 100 possibilities. How many would you guess in the last 10 years, Nathan, signed with Big Ten teams, not Ohio State? I'm sorry, you said that that was just five-star quarterbacks? It's the top 10 quarterbacks in each class. Okay, okay. Yeah. Man, over 10 years? I mean, eight? Six. That's a good guess by you. It's a good guess by you. So here's who they are. Uh, Shane Morris with Michigan, 2013. Didn't work out so well. He was the number three quarterback in 2013. Christian Hackenberg, Penn State. 2013 he was the number two quarterback so penn state michigan got the second and third best quarterbacks in the class of 2013 and neither of them were any good christian hackenberg was like just fake good enough to like trick people but like did not work brandon peters michigan number six quarterback in 2016 now the starting quarterback for illinois dylan mccaffrey michigan number nine quarterback in 2017 Graham Mertz, Wisconsin, number five quarterback in 2019. And now J.J. McCarthy, number four quarterback in 2021. Kyle McCord, by the way, was fifth. So J.J. McCarthy, by 247, ranked slightly ahead of him. So, like, part of this, Nathan, is like, oh, the Big Ten never gets any good quarterbacks. And then when they get them, they don't do anything. They don't develop them. So this is, like, in the last 10 years, this is the fourth time that Michigan has – signed a top 10 quarterback in that class. And like, none of them did anything. Dylan McCaffrey was the guy that we thought was going to be like the quarterback a year ago. And he transferred like right before the season started because Joe Milton won the job. So it is, um, but I do think, I think Mertz and McCarthy are a slightly, well, no, I can't say that because Hackenberg was a huge recruit. Hackenberg was supposed to like be Dan Marino for Penn state and just like never got it. So I don't know, Nathan, like I'm putting a lot of stock in Graham Mertz and JJ McCarthy because of what they are as recruits. And because even though that's six and 10 years, I mean, it's, that's not a ton, right? It's six at non-Ohio state schools. And that's not a ton. So I'm hanging consider four of them are from Michigan. Yeah. So it's two for the rest of the big 10. I'm hanging a lot on what JJ McCarthy in the class of 2021 and Graham Mertz in the class of 2019 might be probably hanging too much on it. Cause again, when we talk about like guys who had jacked up pandemic years, Graham Mertz goes very high on that list. He had a great first game. Then I think he got COVID right. And then like, it was, he had a terrible rest of the season, terrible, but he actually might be good after one game. It was like, here we go. Here we go. Cause last year was his second year and they, and the guy left. And then the other guy, uh, the other guy's going to be Notre Dame's quarterback, which again, boggles my mind, Jack Cohn. It's like, I just make fun of Wisconsin quarterbacks and Notre Dame's like, we'll take them. It's like, oh my God. That's all, that's all I need to know about Notre Dame football for this year. So anyway, Nathan, we had to have JJ McCarthy higher than Cade McNamara, but we just have no idea how this is going to go. And I think it's more about Jim Harbaugh than it is about JJ McCarthy. Cause it's like, all right, well, in this day and age, highly rated quarterbacks, a lot of times they get in there, they play and then they're good. That's not weird, but I just don't know how Jim Harbaugh is going to a develop him and B, how he's going to play him or use him. 
I mean, we have no evidence yet at Michigan that they can develop somebody into uh, uh, what what they expect of them at, at quarterback. What we what we all thought, I thought that Harbaugh was going to be able to accomplish at Michigan as far as the quarterbacks. That's still among um, as much as everything else sits out there as the unaccomplished factor for Harbaugh at Michigan because that would lead to more wins too. I mean, it's it's one before the other, I suppose. So I, I agree, and there's there's a lot that it rides now on Harbaugh figuring things out with McCarthy. To me, um, you know, Ryan Day has this decision to make, but he's picking from between three good quarterbacks, and you know, even if you pick one and then realize three or four weeks into the year maybe that you made the wrong, you picked the wrong one, you can switch, and you know you've got one there. I just don't feel like this decision that Ryan Day has to make doesn't necessarily have quite the same stakes as the one. Jim Harbaugh has to make. I feel like if you get three or four weeks into the year and you're getting nothing out of um, out of McNamara, McNamara, and then all of a sudden you and then you put in McCarthy and he looks great, I think that's going to look worse on Harbaugh in some ways because I feel like just the urgency is there for them to win. I know that that Ohio State goes into every year with higher expectations and they're 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 kind of playing at a higher level to some extent, but with Harbaugh, it's you don't get many more passes on figuring this out. Well, to be very curious how this goes for Michigan, their schedule, Western Michigan home, Washington home. Interesting game. That's a, that's a good, interesting game. It's again, it's like the, the uh, Ohio State, Oregon is at noon in week two at Ohio State. And then Washington, Michigan is at 730 that night on ABC. It's like a nice little Pac-12, Big Ten uh, rivalry there, both in Big Ten territory. Then Northern Illinois at home, then Rutgers at home. So that's their first four. And then they go to Wisconsin. So that's their week five. And then like, they've got a, you'd think maybe they want to have something figured out by then. Again, talking about like crossover schedules um, that Ohio state gets kind of the easy path in the West Michigan plays at Wisconsin and they get Northwestern at home. So that is uh, at least, at least kind of slightly tougher um, than what, and they also go to Nebraska, Nebraska stinks, but but Michigan has to play at Wisconsin, which probably is the, I mean, if you said like, what's the toughest West game you could have this year, no offense to Iowa being ranked higher in the PFF ranking. He's probably playing at Wisconsin and Michigan has to do it in week five. So I'll be curious to see who the quarterback is there. Maybe they keep it McNamara through that. They get a bye week. Their bye week is as after six games. And then they could, they could maybe go to McCarthy. I don't know. But if we had to bet right now, who's the starting quarterback for the Ohio state Michigan game? McCarthy or McNamara or somebody else, John O'Corn. I don't know where John O'Corn is. He's the Joe Bosserman of Michigan football. Are you picking McCarthy or McNamara to be the starting quarterback for Ohio State, Michigan? I would pick McCarthy right now. Yeah, it makes sense. That's what I would pick, too. But again, we're not just like we're not just evaluating quarterback play. We're trying to get in Jim Harbaugh's mind, which is a tough thing to do. Okay, Big Ten media days are... July, what is it? 22 and 23. So that is not that far away. It's like three weeks away or if I guess four weeks, uh, no, three weeks, three, yeah, three weeks. So that's how close we're getting. So we're going to start doing more of this. We're going to start getting wading deeper and deeper into the pool um, before we get to big 10 media days, kind of previewing the rest of the league and starting to make predictions and really starting to analyze the opponents and how the schedule is going to shake out for Ohio state. We appreciate you guys being part of it. Drop a review at Apple Podcasts, readcleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk, where we continue to roll out the top 50 in capsule form every day. 
And uh, try the text. If you'd like to try the text at 614-350-3315. For Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>